Ethan, you know, I'm kind of in a transitional phase of life. Things are changing. I'm pretty sure I know what I want and where I'm going, but sometimes I, I get a little anxious thinking about life and death and the choices I'm making. You, you ever feel that? That sounds troubling. Are you going through any specific crisis? No, not like an existential crisis or anything, but, but sometimes there's a lot going on, you know? And with the current bizarre state of the world, I'm sure a lot of people have more time to think. Maybe I'm just getting too into my own head. No, never. Ask what you want. Explore your thoughts. Okay. Uh, what is the meaning of life? We joke about that all the time, and when we're making fun of philosophy, we think a bunch of old dudes sitting around debating the meaning of life, but, but the jokes aren't wrong. And, yeah, you're not wrong either. Philosophy does concern itself with trying to answer life's deepest, most abstract questions. I've got an idea. Why don't we, why don't we talk about existentialism today? I, I don't think I'm going through a quarter-life crisis or anything. <laughs> existentialism is all about that question. What is the meaning of life? I mean, a lot of philosophy is, but existentialism takes sort of an unconventional approach to it. Well, don't keep me waiting. What's the answer? Ah, I can't just blur it out. We've got to build up to it. Theme song! Don't be Aristotle by your Plato knowledge, cause we got our game I like. Will Vinny Vitty Vici and Mustachio Nietzsche, and we'll never miss the marks, cause I'm awesome, he's heathen, and this is our podcast show. Welcome back to another episode of your favorite philosophy show. I'm Wholesome. And I'm the patron saint of heathens. Just heathen for short. We're your hosts in your quest to better understand yourself and the world we share. As always, heathen will do the teaching and I'll see if I can make it a bit more digestible, though this is going to be a big one. So on to the all-important question. What does existentialism say is the meaning of life? Well, you're right to call it the all-important question. And a question that significant can't have a simple answer. Well, um, well, actually it kind of does. But to understand it, <laughs> we have to go on a journey first. I definitely didn't take existentialism to be the mystical journey type. What do most people say is the purpose of life? Or maybe it's not fair to say most people. How about just people? What do some people say is the purpose of life? I mean, there are the obvious go-to answers that we always list just to discount them, like money, power, fame. But you're discounting them right away? No, yeah, those are too simplistic for me. Oh, earning money is too simplistic for you. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying it's easy, but there's got to be more than that. We, we work so that we can live. We don't live so that we can work, right? Yeah, that's, that, yeah, that's pretty insightful. It's easy to get lost in the pursuit of money, but you're right. Money is a means to an end. It's a middleman. It can't be the purpose itself. But let's follow the trail. Where does money take us? What does it get us? Uh, the easy answer is that money buys you things. You get material stuff, but, but that's not it. I often think we get wrapped up in money because some people think that having a lot of money lets you get what you want and do what you want. Okay, so maybe it brings independence or freedom. Is that the big purpose? Those sound like great things, but they're not an end either, are they? If you're independent, you're, you're free to choose what you want, but that's kind of like another middleman. What do you chase if you're free and independent? Ah, alright. So you're free to do something. Maybe that something is religion, worshipping God, or it, it could be family, ensuring the happiness of your spouse or children. A lot of people may agree with the religion aspect, yeah. There are countless stories about countless religions and lots of effort expanded throughout humanity there. 
And family is a very wholesome one. But the first question that springs to mind there is, what if someone doesn't have a family? Everyone has parents, sure, but what if something happened there? Maybe they died and the person never created their own family. Does that person's life not have any purpose or meaning? Oh man, that's that's bleak in so many superheroes' origin stories. You definitely can't say Batman or Daredevil don't have a purpose, so I see what you're getting at there. The meaning of life has to be applicable to everyone, and some people don't have families, so the meaning can't be just family. Oh, that's an interesting thought. Why do you think the meaning has to be applicable to everyone? Well, whatever the meaning of life is, I'm sure it doesn't discriminate against some people. If the meaning was a character, it wouldn't be like, nuh-uh, none for you, to people without families. <laughs> Though, now I'm imagining the meaning of life as some sort of childish being that gets upset with some people and doesn't share its toys with them, so thanks for that. Oh man, that is quite the imagination, my weirdo friend. Well, we know that throughout a lot of human history, religion was taught as the greatest purpose. And I'm definitely not limiting this to Christianity or anything. The god of, insert religion here, created humans with a purpose, the teaching goes, and we should strive to live up to that purpose. Ah uh, yeah, living with God in mind has been in fashion for quite a while. But even without religion, the common belief has always been that there exists a meaning to life. Some people figure it out, some don't maybe, but the existence of a meaning is obvious. I mean, you asked what is the meaning of life, not is there a meaning to life? So what do you think the meaning is, our philosophizer extraordinaire? <laughs> you flatter me. Don't stop. But, <laughs> but, as always, what I say doesn't matter. That's true, I believe that wholeheartedly. <laughs> but what the existentialists are known for is flipping the concept of the meaning of life on its head. How so? You know how we just said that through most of human history, the understanding was that there's some great meaning, and then we exist and try to figure it out? Sure. Well, existentialism says that we exist first, and then are free to create our own meaning. Oh, come on. I was hoping for some great wisdom, but that sounds like the easy way out. The meaning of life is different for everyone. Go make what you want out of life. Once we work through it, we get to rosy conclusions like that, yeah. But working through existentialism through to its conclusions, is far darker than you just made it sound. Mm, I'm listening, intently and slightly frightened. Oh, maybe you should be. <laughs> if you're looking for something different, existentialism starts with the understanding that there is no meaning to life. That's pretty metal, but you just said we make our own purpose. So there is a meaning, it's just that everyone has their own personal meaning. Existentialism boiled down to its core is just three words. You ready for this? I'm salivating in anticipation. Mm, is that sarcasm? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm salivating in anticipation. Is that what you want from me? <laughs> is that madness? Anyway. <laughs> this is Sparta. What is it? So existentialism, ugh. existentialism says existence precedes essence. That sounds exactly like the kind of academic philosophical jargon that this show is designed to break down. Come on, man. Heathen it for us. Oh, did you just make my name a verb? <laughs> I don't think anyone has ever done that before. <laughs> I'm a fan. Anyway, existence precedes essence. We know what existence is. Right. Us existing. Us being here. We exist. And precede means before, but what is essence in this context exactly? Essence in philosophy is what defines something. It's core identity. 
The essence of being human is what makes us human instead of something else. And it can't be physical traits like hair or limbs, because some people have more hair, some have less. Most are born with the same number of limbs, but some aren't. And it might be hard to gain limbs during life, but it's definitely easy to lose them. And that doesn't change your essence as a human, right? So essence is something deeper, more abstract, like the meaning of life. It kind of sounds like a soul. Are we talking about souls? Because that also sounds kind of spiritual. Well, the idea is we're getting at something in humans that we don't necessarily have or own. Hence why my starting examples were just human components. Oh, that's right. Is there a reason you picked really bizarre examples of physical human traits? Hair and limbs? <laughs> why not the ability to reason and opposable thumbs or something? Uh, that's... I'm glad you asked, actually. I wasn't going to bring it up, but yeah. There, <laughs> there was a reason behind my choice. There's an old story in philosophy that says that Plato once uh, succinctly defined man as a featherless biped. All right. So that's what I was thinking, hair and limbs, you know. But then, but then Diogenes, the OG philosophical troll, plucked the feathers from a chicken, brought it to Plato's school, and said, Behold, Plato's man. <laughs> you gotta love Diogenes. Such a... Oh, man. Keep trolling, 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 trolling. No, please stop. Ow. You're no fun. Yeah, sorry. So if essence so if essence is the meaning of life that we're searching for, existence precedes essence is saying what? We exist before a meaning? If we look at a say a pencil, what is the purpose of a pencil? To write. And regardless Or um, as a device to kill people all the Joker's magic trick in the dark night. Uh yeah, okay, I guess that works too. Mm -hmm. But let's go with the primary purpose. <laughs> Regardless of what color, the size, whether it's a mechanical pencil made of plastic or the beautiful golden wood of the superior Ticonderoga number two, the purpose of a pencil... Oh man, sounds like you got some sort of deep love for Ticonderoga pencils. Then I totally get it. <laughs> <laughs> they are the best. Yes. The essence of a pencil is to write... Or if we look at a cup, it could be really intricate or plain, delicate or hardy, shape, size, color, a lot of things can change, but it has an inherent function, that of holding liquid. Pencils and glasses and cups, most things around us are created for a function. But with humans, there is no inherent purpose or meaning. Existence precedes essence. When talking about existentialism, the biggest name is Jean-Paul Sartre. He's not the first to think it, but he's the one who first said existence precedes essence. In the speech where he coined that term, he said, and I quote, We mean that man first of all exists, encounters himself, surges up in the world, and defines himself afterwards. Mm hmm. Surges. That dude can write. All right. If existentialism says there is no purpose to life, it doesn't really leave space for God then, huh? can't believe in God and believe in existentialism. That's a fantastic question, actually. Sartre was an atheist, and I think a lot of existentialists were, but you don't have to be one to mesh with the philosophy. In fact, the father of existentialism himself, Soren Kierkegaard, a Danish philosopher, was a deeply religious man who wrote tons about Christianity. He just thought that God created us and the universe without a preset purpose. He believed in God as the creator, 
Just that we weren't created with a specific reason in mind. <laughs> so God's like, whoops. Oh, well, I guess I'll just keep it going then. No, but <laughs> but for real, existentialism definitely has a reputation, kind of a dark reputation. I mean, the most famous term about it is existential crisis. And even you said earlier that it gets dark. But I don't see it. We're not tied down to one purpose like cups and pencils, and everyone has their own purpose. That sounds pretty cheery to me. One thing I have to emphasize is that it's not necessarily saying that everyone has their own purpose. Existence precedes essence is saying that we exist without meaning. Cups and pencils aren't thinking creatures, but they have a purpose. We, however, exist without purpose, without meaning. We just exist. Mm. Walking and breathing for a momentary time on a wet rock hurtling through the emptiness of space without any purpose. And suddenly I see what you meant by dark. That is the opposite of sunflowers and rainbows. Hurtling through space without a purpose. That's, that's cold and lonely. <laughs> I enjoyed your imitation of me. <laughs> but yeah, that's just the start. Sartre also said that we are, quote, condemned to be free. Well, now, freedom is great. Captain America, the Founding Fathers, democracy, heck, even anarchists are about freedom. Never thought I'd say Captain America and anarchists in the same sentence. Unless, of course, he's punching them for justice-related purposes. But what does is, what is the existentialists have against freedom? Oh, nothing. They don't have anything against it. On the contrary, they're saying that people don't realize how truly free they are. But also, that there's no option available to us other than to be free. Making decisions is difficult, and... Going out and adulting isn't always easy. You know, it's it's hard enough deciding where or what you want to eat, so sometimes it'd be easier if we didn't have to make tough choices. Life was simple as a kid, you know? Well, tough cookies. <laughs> Sartre says that we are condemned to be free. Whether you like it or not, whether you want it or not, there is no other option. Once thrust into the world... We are responsible for everything we do. Well, okay, I feel like I'm sinking further into the darkness with every word you say. But we're responsible for the choices we make, sure, but we're not responsible for everything we do. Some things are bigger than us, or it's out of our control. Sartre also talks about radical freedom. I know we're talking about existentialism and not just Sartre, but he's the philosopher most associated with the topic, so we have to keep returning to him. With radical freedom... He says that we're far freer than we generally think or understand, and he argues that every single act is a free act. If anyone ever says they had no choice, they're lying not only to others, but to themselves. Say you're hiking along a trail and find a boulder in the way. You might say you had no choice but to turn around, but Sartre would also say you could have thrown yourself off the mountain and killed yourself. <laughs> well... That escalated quickly. Eh, technically, he de-escalated off the mountain. <laughs> you are the actual worst. Okay. <laughs> I can appreciate Sancho saying take responsibility for your actions, but that's absurd, man. I'm not going to kill myself because there's a boulder in my path. And he's definitely not saying you should. He's just pointing out that there are even more that we're even more free than we normally think. Sure. We're saying we couldn't go any further. But that doesn't mean you had to turn around. Since you didn't kill yourself, you actively chose to turn back. And to take it even further, like I mentioned, he said every act is a free act. Even in something as extreme as slavery. The antithesis of freedom. 
Sartre says if we're looking at the case of slavery, the enslaved person still has a choice. They can choose to submit to their rule, or they can negotiate, they can resist nonviolently. I feel like if you're a slave and you try to negotiate or resist nonviolently, that may not end up with you in good health. And yeah, you're probably right about that. But they can also choose to, I don't know, counterattack or, or commit suicide. Even making no choice is a choice in itself. And I'm not trying to downplay anyone's struggles or pains at all, but there are more choices than we sometimes think. Okay, in subjecting options that you technically have, but maybe shouldn't follow through on, I'm reminded of Fight Club. Ooh, sick movie. Yeah, yeah, I love that one. What do you have for us? If you haven't watched it, it came out in 1999, so that's on you. But I still won't spoil anything. The movie focuses on two characters, the clean-cut average office worker who doesn't actually ever get a name, but he's a narrator, and, and the no-laws rebellious Tyler Durden. They become friends. They're really close, actually, and Tyler tells the narrator that there are other options out there than the life he's bored living. The narrator is stuck in a pointless, consumeristic world where his hobby is picking out Ikea furniture to make a neat little box of life, but he's barely alive. In fact, he suffers from insomnia and says that when you're an insomniac, you're never really asleep or awake. A metaphor for his life. Then Tyler tells him he could just blow up his apartment instead. So, yeah, I would say just a tad drastic, but, you know, kind of like what the existentialists are also saying. Yeah, that also escalated pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah. And he does, right? He does blow up his apartment. Mm. All right, so another term that comes up in these discussions is angst which actually came to the English language from Kierkegaard, the father of existentialism. Oh, that's the thing where I listen to Taking Back Sunday and make MySpace posts that I threatened to delete later. Hmm, yeah, I would call that more of a modern interpretation. But that was 15 years ago. Oh, man, we're getting old. Oh, you're getting old. Shut up. I'm gonna go listen to My Chemical Romance. Stay with me, sad boy. <laughs> Kierkegaard <laughs> said that we usually like the freedom that we have in our choices. But it can also be terrifying. Angst is when we understand the vast potential of choices we have and the scope of our power. And anguish is the feeling we have as free beings in a world without meaning. Now these feelings are what's called existential dread. And going back to a cliff, when you look over the edge and realize there's nothing holding you back, and you could, if you wanted, fling yourself into nothingness, that's existential angst. Just the realization that you have the ability to act. This terrifying possibility. That's what Kierkegaard called the dizziness of freedom. Ooh, okay, this is indeed terrifying and absurd, and I'm seriously concerned about the mental health of some of these existentialists. Mm, yes, absurd. That word means something specific in philosophy too, but we'll come back to that later. Sometimes you might even find yourself with less of a curiosity and more of a, a drive to throw yourself off that cliff or jump off of a bridge. Mm. The French call it la belle du vide, but in our superior American vernacular, <laughs> we call it the call of the void. Sounds like a sick metal album. Oh, wait, no, hold on. There's a, there's a term for that in psychology. Uh, we call those things intrusive thoughts. It, by the way, it's totally okay to have those thoughts, and the suggested way of dealing with them is simply to let the thoughts pass. Don't try to repress them or fight them or enact them, especially that one, just just let them happen. Almost a Dallas response to it. Go with the flow, you know? 
Episode nine, callback. Sweet, sweet. Good advice too. Yeah. Don't uh, don't actually do them. Oh, and I'll give the disclaimer up front today instead of at the very end, like usual. Wholesome and Heathen do not advocate suicide. Not even a little bit. You know, I bet a lot of people didn't know that you do a disclaimer at the very end of every episode. Go back and check them out, listeners. But yeah, the existentialists aren't advocating suicide at all. Remember at the beginning you said it sounded cheery? We'll eventually reach that, and existentialism is actually optimistic and liberating. But the road is long, and the journey isn't for the weak. So they're not saying kill yourself. Completely the opposite. The existentialists think that we too often forget that we're alive in the first place, and what that truly means. What do you mean? Alright, new name here. Martin Heidegger. He was a German philosopher who wasn't a huge fan of modern life. He didn't really care for cities, and he much preferred walks in the countryside. He said, we forget that we're alive, and not in the sense that we don't know it as a fact, but the implications of it. Heidegger's writings are infamous, actually, for being complicated and obscure, and if you know anything about German, you know it's very easy to make a single word longer and longer until you get 18-letter monstrosities like Seinsvergessenheit, <laughs> which means forgetfulness of being. Yeah, which is still basically indecipherable. <laughs> well, the good thing is, the only Heidegger term I want to share is das Sein, which means being. We're used to how our lives work, and don't usually stop to consider how normal or weird everyday things are. But sometimes, if we're feeling peculiar, or when we're sick or have been isolated for a bit, or maybe late at night, Mm -hmm. we start breaking through the routine and seeing the strangeness in everyday norms. Why is long hair normal for women and short hair the norm for men? It's not an absolute by any means, but it's the overwhelming trend. Why do we water and cultivate little green patches of plants in front of our houses, even if we don't ever step in them? How odd is it that we take different species' baby nourishment juice and give it to our own species' children, or drink it ourselves, even as adults? (laughs) He's not making moral judgments on any of this. He's not saying it's good or bad. Mm. But he's breaking it down in a way that we take for granted, because we're used to things like hairstyles, lawns, and milk. You know, yeah, I, I remember thinking of that once when I was uh, having dinner with a friend. The, the table we were seated at is just a big slab of a tree. Food is parts of dead animals and plants. It, even the time that we sit at our tree slab and put dead things in our mouth is just based on our position relative to a burning ball of hydrogen. Yes, exactly. That's exactly what they're talking about. Yeah. Hmm. Once we strip our prejudices and assumptions from day-to-day routines... It can open us up to seeing things differently, and then we may realize that things don't have to be the way they are. This is where we get to talking about authenticity. Being authentic in existentialism philosophy is basically what you think it would be. It's living how you want to live. Doing and being what you want, despite external social pressure. Oh yeah, that's punk rock. You be you. Forget the pressures of the system trying to put you down. Yo, existentialism is super punk. They both say to be free and to be you. And if you're not living for yourself, if you're folding to social pressure, then the existentialists say that you're living in bad faith. We can look around and I'm sure many of us can think of people that we know that seem like they're almost living a placeholder life. Most everyone has a background character in our own lives, of course. But some people seem, more so than others, just to be going through motions of life. 
I'm guessing that's what he's talking about with bad faith. 100%. Those people are living inauthentically. They're living in bad faith. But the existentialists never say it's easy to live authentically. They're not saying just do it. Sartre actually thought absolute freedom was almost vertigo-inducing. And it's tough. And it's scary. It usually leads people to inauthentic ways of life. Besides living in a way where your actions align with your beliefs and desires, what does an authentic life look like? There's no one ideology or one vision for it. Authenticity is different for everyone. And unfortunately for the lazy ones amongst us, it can't be achieved by just repeating certain actions or believing certain things. Alright, so it's a one-player game. And I feel like you could accidentally be living inauthentically too if it's different for everyone. I'm thinking clicks. Not just in the terrible abyss that was high school, but people conform to certain types all the time. If you start listening to some of the offspring in Sum 41, and next thing you know, you're hanging out with people who all want to fight against the system. Cool. Then before you know it, you're wearing a studded belt, black nail polish, your hair is blue, and you're a full-blown stereotype. A stereotype with fantastic musical taste, but still a stereotype. (laughs) (laughs) Sure people won't agree with me on that. If you genuinely want to wear all black, cool beans. But if in your effort to be different, you become just another stereotype, then maybe that's not authenticity. I'm a punk kid too. Even if I don't have blue hair anymore. Wait, what's this now about blue hair? You wouldn't understand. I (laughs) I get that authenticity doesn't look like just one thing, but do those philosophers give us any advice or advice on how to overcome the social pressures and not live in bad faith? This may sound dark. No, but it was so sunny and optimistic so far. Hush. And try, (laughs) this is what they say, try thinking about death more. Heidegger said we should spend more time in graveyards. Was this dude some kind of vampire? You don't have to be quite as macabre as visiting graveyards, but try to remind yourself of your mortality. Not in a bad way, and don't fret about it, but realize that others can't save us. So we should stop worrying about what they think. We get stuck thinking the way we live is fixed and inevitable. We tell ourselves that there's no other way, but understanding radical freedom And acknowledging our mortality can actually free us. So try to be as insufferably endearing as Holden Caulfield from the book Catcher in the Rye. His favorite phrase that he repeated a million times per page was, everything is phony. I think Holden had some issues he needs to work through. (laughs) But he was good at seeing through the routine and realizing that things, and by extension life, doesn't have to be the way that it is. And also focus on the fact that we're all going to die. That's probably a tough one for a lot of people. And I'm going to try to make a distinction. It may be too slight, but don't worry about how you're going to die or if it's going to be painful or anything. Don't focus on the event of death itself. Rather, remind yourself that your time is limited. I mean, if we knew we were going to die tomorrow or in a year, that sets a deadline. Ah, I see what you did there. But yeah, I get what you're saying. If we knew we were going to die more immediately, then we'd change how we live day to day. See, it doesn't have to be so grim. So we're freer than we think we are, and we're not immortal. Where does that put us? For a lot of people, at first, that puts us in an uncertain place. Like Kierkegaard said, it's dizzying how free we are, and that leads to angst. You remember what angst is? Angst is the main hormone associated with puberty and the lifeblood of the band Simple Plan. (laughs) 
And? And also the terrifying feeling that comes with knowing how free you really are. Bingo. <laughs> and it's, it's scary because of the scope of how much potential you have. We already think we have the freedom to live how we want. But now the existentialists are saying you have way more freedom than even that. Ooh. If you have the power to choose from so much, how can you actually choose? Ah, the paradox of choice. The more choices you have, the harder it seems to be to actually make a choice. And it's easy to become paralyzed with all the options. So how do we choose? How do we know if we're making the right choices or the best choices? Kierkegaard said, quote, Life can only be understood backwards, but must be lived forwards. Ooh. I think that's the scariest part of angst. Without knowing the future, we have to choose blindly, without information, not knowing if we chose well. But Kierkegaard also thought that anxiety could save humanity. Well, then call me the savior of the world. I got enough for everybody. Oh, uh, let's talk later. <laughs> but by being aware of our power and our choices, we can go from a state of unself-consciousness and become self-conscious. All right. Existentialism is like an empowerment movement. So how do we bring it back to the meaning of life? You said there is no meaning with this philosophy. Ooh, I said there's no inherent meaning, no intrinsic meaning. We're not cups or pencils, and we don't have a built-in purpose we must live up to. So just chill out, breathe, relax. We're freer than we thought, and there are more options than we limit ourselves to. Things don't have to be the way they are. And we're free to discard preset understandings and prejudices, and we're also free to give meaning where we want. Existentialism says there is no innate meaning to life, but we are free to create our own meaning. I see how this picture gets rosier as we progress through it. In the same speech where he said existence precedes essence, Sartre also said, quote, Existentialism, as it is a philosophy of action and one's defining oneself, is optimistic and liberating. All right, basically, every individual must decide their own meaning and find the most suitable way to climb the mountain that is life. Beautifully put. And optimistic. Just like existentialism. <laughs> uh, speaking of things that sound beautiful, I think I've got another one for this episode. The band 21 Pilots, and specifically their song titled Car Radio. I'm not going to play the whole song because I'm not a lawyer and I don't know exactly how copyright laws work, but <laughs> let's look at the lyrics and I'll play you a little clips. I ponder of something great. My lungs will fill and then deflate. They fill with fire, exhale desire. I know it's dying. Oh, yeah, yeah, right at the beginning there. Okay. My lungs will fill and then deflate. Ooh, that's good. And yeah, again, we forget our mortality and how fragile it is. Normally, we don't think about our automatic processes, you know, but every now and then, when you focus on the process of breathing, like you're doing right now, and you accidentally overtake your automatic brain, you realize the act of inhaling and exhaling, and it can strike you as kind of weird. We've been doing it nonstop for however many decades you've been around, but it's not often that we think about it. That's the strangeness of being that Sartre talked about. My dream, I hate this car that I'm driving. There's no hiding for me. I'm forced to deal with what I feel. There is no distraction to mask what is real. I could pull the steering wheel 
throughout the song, he states that someone stole his car radio. And that's a metaphor for all the distractions that pop up in life. Now, without a car radio, there's no more hiding. He's seeing clearly without distractions. He's forced to deal with reality. And he has the radical freedom to pull the steering wheel if you wanted to hide behind to find over the course of a human existence one thing consists of consistence and it's that we're all battling fear oh dear i don't know if we know why we're here oh my too deep please stop thinking i liked it better when my car had sound this song is just dripping existentialism he's questioning why we're here and talks about the fear of reality and the weight of responsibility of our choices and at the end of that section i liked it better when my car had sound that talks about how it's easier to live inauthentically. It's easier to live with the distractions, where it's a tough and frightening process to actually break through bad faith and then to live authentically. And fear will lose this faith and this sleep. We need to pick one, please, because faith is to be awake and to be awake is for us to think and for us to think is to be alive and I will try. I don't know if the band is talking about religious faith here, but it can definitely mean living in good faith or living authentically. Living in good faith is to be awake, philosophically awake. And to be awake is for us to think, and for us to think is to be alive. Could mean that for us to be truly living, we need to think and get past the default life set out for us. Oh man, this was a beautiful, perfect choice, yeah. Like a pop, pop hit, you know, that we got. I mean, it's pretty unconventional pop hit, but yeah, it's, it's great that uh, they're able to fit those kinds of themes into music people actually like. <laughs> Man, existentialism is becoming pop. Who would have thought? <laughs> yeah, that is pretty surprising. Well, heck, thanks for taking us on that journey for today. That was a uh, that was that was a lot. <laughs> uh, you know, it gets dark, but there is light at the end. You are your own meaning. You can do whatever you want. I and that sounds pretty rosy. Um, now, you got anything planned for us next episode? Yeah, actually. Um, Let's explore a little bit further into this. Next time we can do some, I guess you could call them offshoots in a way. Mm. Let's talk about absurdism and nihilism. Mm. Those ones do sound generally sadder, so I'll get my uh, tear duct ready. Yeah, guess you'll have to find out next time. <laughs> yeah. All right. Hey, thanks everybody for joining us today, and we'll see you in two weeks. I'll say it again, Wholesome and Heathen do not endorse throwing yourself off of cliffs. We do, however, support a dedication to radical freedom and embracing all of the potential choices life has to offer and letting those choices define you. Start a band, get famous, why stop at 21 pilots when you can have 22 or 30? Exercise your radical freedom by emailing us at contact at wholesomeandheathen.com and visiting our website at wholesomeandheathen.com.